Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Do all things with grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Grant us your Holy Spirit now to understand this, the word of God. Illumine us, O Lord, and bring us more closely into Jesus' presence, whether we come here this morning near to you or far from you. We need more Jesus, and thank you that he welcomes us by grace. Father, thank you for your great love that we see in your Son, crucified, resurrected, and ascended, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many people do you think would agree with this statement? What the world needs right now is more Christians. Do you think people would agree or disagree with that? What the world needs right now is more Christians. Let's think about it. So among my secular friends and neighbors, people that are not those of faith, if I would ask them, do you agree with the statement, hey, what the world needs right now is more Christians, they would laugh because, like, you must be joking. Surely not, because we tend to think that Christians, religious people more generally, are a big part of the problem of what's going on in our world right now. What the, need, what the world needs is more Christians. What about around the world? Well, I think if it were the majority report of a lot of people around the world, especially those in power, that would agree what the world needs right now is more Christians, then Christians would be less persecuted, marginalized, and ostracized in many parts of the world, which is happening around the world right now. And what about for Christians themselves? What the world needs right now is more Christians. I think for a lot of us, if you would self-identify as a Christian, in the old words of Jimmy Carter, we're experiencing a crisis of confidence right now where even for me, as a Christian, what the world needs right now is more Christians. I'd have some notes, like what kind? Who? And I'd wonder to myself, isn't it true that we're part of the problem? That we mess things up? And so at least for me, your mileage might vary or maybe you're in the same boat. As I think about church and world, it's a little bit like a wedding. So if you've been married, think of your own wedding or other weddings or at a wedding, there are two groups of people to invite. Those that you want to invite and those that you need to invite, right? 
Those that you want to invite, typically, those are your friends. Those that you need to invite, that's your family, right? And I have multiple family members that are watching on this feed. I, I don't, I'm not speaking personally there. <laughs> but if you're in that boat, you'll think, okay, how is this going to work when I have all of my cool friends that are coming? But what about Uncle Robert, Aunt Monique? I hope they talk to nobody because this is going to be so, so awkward. And I can think about that way, like with the Christians or like the family, like, okay, they're, they're my people, but just stay over here and try not to be too awkward or make too much noise. What the world needs right now is more Christians. What about you personally? How does that statement fit with you? Whether you're here this morning or watching online as somebody who self-identifies as a Christian or not. But here's something challenging for us to think about. Who agrees with the statement, what the world needs right now is more Christians? I think it's safe to say that the Bible agrees with that statement. I think it's probably safe to say, as we understand the God of the universe as revealed through the scriptures, God probably agrees with that statement. Jesus agrees with that statement. And that's kind of the whole point of Christian mission. What the world needs is more Christians because it is designed by God the Father to be good news. Then in Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended, God is in the process of bringing our world from being messed up to made whole, and he's doing it by grace because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. So that means for us individually, we can receive by faith forgiveness and renewal, and then even more broadly, for communities, for people, for people groups, between people groups. Cosmically, there is a world of healing and justice yet to come that has already erupted forth into our world right now because Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascended. And that is the engine of the mission of the church. And this is the part that really blows my mind every time I think about it. How's God going to do that? What's God's plan if he is in Jesus Christ bringing the world from being messed up to made whole and he's doing it by grace? How is that going to happen? Well, as I read the scriptures, I think it's fair to say that God's vehicle of the rescue and redemption of all things in Christ is Christians, is the church. And that's really challenging. If it's Christians, if it's the church that is designed to be the vehicle of God's rescue and redemption of all things in Christ, I think, you mean us? Bozos like you and me? Losers? Punters? Schlemiels? Jabronis? Like we all are? There's got to be a better way. But God comes back and tells us through the scriptures, no, it's going to be you. It's going to be you. And even though it stretches my faith even to believe that, I'll say that among the leaders of the Liberty Communion of Churches that Eric Mitchell was talking about just a moment ago, we believe this. And that's why Christian mission is so important. Because it's good news for all people in Jesus Christ. 
And so what we have here this morning, you can say that you were here and present the first time in the history of our communion of churches that there is a communion-wide sermon series. We're roughly in about the same period of time. We're going to preach three sermons about our mission statement. It's a mission statement of Liberty Church Collingswood, for example. We want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs. That's a mission statement of all of the Liberty Churches, to live and speak and serve. So three sermons about that very thing. We're talking about living as Jesus' very presence here, the next week speaking and next week serving. And Christian mission might be a term that's familiar to you. It might not be. But I think by and large, when people think about Christian mission— what comes to mind is that Christians need to say stuff and do stuff. That's true. And that's a huge part of Christian mission, the speaking and serving part. And yet, it's even deeper than that. Christian mission affects how we live. And it must affect everything. So two parts from here. I want to talk about Christian living as Christian mission. And then secondly, let's talk about why that's needed and necessary for our world right now. And we're coming to you this morning from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, the story so far. Towards the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, we have this great, what's been called hymn, poem about Jesus and his humiliation, all the way to his exaltation. Jesus, though he was in very form God, took the form also of a servant, came to earth, made himself nothing, becoming obedient, even obedient to death on a cross, but then... God the Father raised him from the dead so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then Paul goes on to say, work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not because we need to be terrified that God's going to remove his presence from us, but in fact, just the opposite, because God is present with you always to the end of the age. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And then Paul's going on in our passage, keep it up. Keep it up. And you might wonder, okay, Jim, you're talking about how we're going to talk about Christian mission this morning. What on earth does this passage, Philippians 2, 14 to 18, have to do with Christian mission? Well, let's look a little more closely and unpack some so-that's in this passage, starting with verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Let's think about that holding fast. A what, a how, and a why. Hold fast. What does that mean? It means really take deep hold to faithfulness to Jesus Christ as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. How hold fast? Tenaciously. Here's a pro tip. Nobody likes a dead fish handshake, right? Don't be that person. Hi, I'm Jim. <laughs> Nobody likes that. You like a firm grip on that handshake. Hold fast tenaciously. And then why? Because Christians are called to hold fast to the word of life in the midst of and before an unbelieving world. Verse 15 that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
And this is what moves us towards mission, shining in the world. There are a couple of Old Testament Hebrew scripture echoes in this verse. One is from Deuteronomy chapter 32, another from Daniel 12. Deuteronomy 32 towards the beginning of the Hebrew Bible, Daniel 12 towards the end of the Hebrew Bible that gives more flavor and overlays. And as we look at this verse or those overlays, it's kind of like this. For the people of God, your obedience is about outsiders. Let me nuance that a little bit more. For the people of God, your faithful obedience to the living Lord is not just about the community of faith, not just about insiders. It's about the outsiders, too. It has reference outside of the community of faith. And we get that in the Daniel 12 passage that's alluded to here. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever shining, and those who turn many to righteousness, living transparently and obediently so that others see that and say, God is real and God is good. It's like the old spiritual song goes, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it show, right? And then hide it under a bushel? Yes. No, we don't. Because we're going to let our light shine, right? Christian living is Christian mission. And that's not such a crazy idea if you think about it. That's how fandom works, right? Like old school sports fandom. I first moved to Philadelphia in 1999. I, I, I loved sports. I loved sports following and sports watching. I didn't have strong affiliations to any team, but moved to Philadelphia. And I was surrounded by these glorious bums that are Philadelphia sports fans. And I loved it. I wanted to be a part of it. It was also a great time to become a Philadelphia sports fan. Late 90s, early 2000s, the Donovan McNabb era for the Eagles, the Allen Iverson era for the Sixers, the Phillies. <laughs> and I, Travis Lee, anyone? I just got swept up. And I said, I want to be a part of this. And I wasn't formally invited by Joe Sixpack Eagles fan. Would you like to consider becoming a fan of the Philadelphia football team, the Eagles? It's like, no, I just want to be a part. And that's how fandom works as well, whether it's pop culture fandom or nerd fandom. You see people that are living in alignment with the objects of their affection. You see that they're having a great time. You see that it's making a difference in their lives. And then you start thinking, hey, that might be me. How much more for loving Jesus? and living in alignment with him. And so it is, whether Old Testament or New Testament or today, all across the board, the faithful people of God are designed by the living Lord to be both a showcase and a preview people. A showcase people, shining before others. That's been the case for the church at its best in all ages. In the ancient church, an early apologist, somebody that commended Christianity to skeptics, a guy named Felix Minucius, Marcus Finilius, oh, Latin, Marcus Minucius Felix said this about Christians. Beauty of life causes strangers to join the ranks. We do not talk about great things, we live them. 
It says, the beauty of the life of followers of Jesus commends Jesus himself to other people. Shining. A modern scholar named Michael Goheen put it this way, talking first about the Old Testament people of God via Abraham, but moving forward from there. Thus Abraham, his family, and the nation that will issue from him are chosen to participate in God's mission, to enjoy God's redemptive blessing, and to walk in the way of the Lord so that the nations might participate in that blessing. A showcase people, but then also a, a, pre a preview people as well. A whole world of justice and healing and peace and joy is coming. Brother and sister Christian, you are called to preview that coming attraction. Live as if it's coming and you know that it is. Michael Goheen, one more time. The lives of Jesus' followers are to be signs of the kingdom, of the healing and liberating power of God breaking through into history. Since the kingdom is coming in the future, it also points forward as a sign of what is coming. Live it out. Shine before others. What the world needs right now is more Christians. Well, I think that's true if Christians actually live according to the fruit of the Spirit. I hung these banners this morning, if you can see them. That's the fruit of the Spirit right there, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we live out those things, you better believe it that the world needs more people that do stuff like that. We're called to shine before what in the words of verse 15, a crooked and twisted generation. That's the presence part. Let's be present here. Our obedience is not just about us. It's about outsiders. And we might think crooked and twisted generation, that kind of seems a little judgy or a little arrogant. I'd come back and ask, is it arrogant or just kind of simply accurate? Probably accurate. And different people, whether north, south, east, west, different political alignments, yet we might disagree about who, are the, who the crooked and twisted people are, but we all have names in our head, right? For, yeah, there's a lot of crooked and twisted stuff out there and the reality of the cross. And this keeps, in my opinion, this just being a judgmental thing. The cross of Jesus Christ says to me, Jim, you're crooked and twisted too. We all are. That's why Jesus had to die in the first place. Not arrogant, just honest and accurate. So Christian, as you engage in mission, one of the things that you must do is obey. Humble, transparent obedience. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? What's blocking you from doing that more? Are you actually shining? What might mark Liberty Collingswood? Are we shining obediently in this way? Or our communion of churches in the region and beyond, are we shining, are we living obediently? Or you could put it, put it the other way in negative terms. If you're a follower of Jesus and not living fully obediently, that's not only a failure of faithfulness, but it's also a failure of mission. You're letting your unbelieving friends and neighbors down. Christian living as Christian mission. And also, why it's needed for such a time as this, apropos for this moment. Something from the beginning of the passage, Philippians chapter 2, something towards the end. Something that sounds like it's in the Bible, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I think for most of us, we'd say, yeah, it sounds kind of innocuous. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Sounds like something the Bible would say. 
innocuous, yes, but vital for this moment because isn't it the case, culturally speaking, that we are so angry so much of the time? We are so angry so much of the time. So when Paul actually tells followers of Jesus, do all things without grumbling or disputing, in this moment, that's actually kind of a revolutionary idea. I mentioned in a sermon in the fall, one of the effects of pandemic shakeout that I think is occurring here in the West, our circle of care has shrunk, but our circle of outrage has expanded. Our circle of care has shrunk. The number of people that we love and care for and show up for and sacrifice of ourselves to help other people, that circle is shrinking. But the circle of outrage, oh man, it's, it's blowing up like a balloon. We are so angry all the time. And if you're somebody who's skeptical of Christian faith or, have your, or you're a Christian but you have your own doubts and questions about it, understand this, that flame-on Christians... They're the ones, like we all do, they're the ones that need more Christ. The flame on Christians are the ones that are being disobedient and acting with such anger and rancor. That's not fruit of the Spirit. And again, if you're skeptical of spiritual realities, maybe you have some flame on fatigue yourself where it's like, this is a brutal cultural moment. I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Find a different way in Jesus. Do all things without grumbling, disputing, complaining. And Jesus gives you the resources for that. Earlier on in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's the point at which Paul says, Oh, and remember Jesus, his humiliation all the way to the cross. And if we don't have as our resource, as our motivation to actually consider others more highly than ourselves and do things without grumbling and complaining, if it's not that, why would you? What other resources do we have? And this is a point at which, from my perspective, secularity doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a two-story house where the second story is not really supported by the first story like it should be. First story. Secular house, could put it this way. The big questions about who we are, what we are, where we're going. Well, life, the universe, and everything is meaningless. We're from nowhere. We're going nowhere. We're all just a function of random events and biological determinism. Survival of the fittest. Yeah, that's who we are. But then the second story, and I think this is true even across some political divides, selflessness is a good thing. Should we care for other people? Should we care for the environment? Does it make sense that we should consider, in the language of Philippians 2, others more highly than ourselves? Yes, we should do that. That's good. That's right. But think about the first story. Survival of the fittest as a foundation for selflessness. And in my opinion, that doesn't make any sense at all. And there have been really big brains across various fields of study, from biology to sociology to psychology to history, that try to make those two stories comport with one another. 
But I'd come back at that point and say, you need to be super smart to find some type of way to fit those pieces together, survival of the fittest and selflessness, because at a deeper level, it seems obvious to me that it just doesn't work. But we can lean in in the other direction. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. That's a different mode, a different mode. And this is something that I think Christians can and should do that actually would make those that might not prima facie at first glance agree with the statement of what the world needs now is more Christians. Here's something that Christians can do. We can disagree without disengaging. That's unique right now. Because in so many cases, disagreement and disengagement are the exact same thing. If we are not aligned our relationship goes poof. Maybe your professional relationship goes poof. It's not there anymore. But Christians are called to be the ones that would say, yeah, we might not be on the same page with everything, but I would love to be in relationship with you. I would love to be your friend. I would love to show up for you. I would love to care for you. For such a moment as this, do all things without grumbling or complaining, beginning of the passage, and then at the end of the passage, joy. Verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrificial offering of faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Joy. It's a huge theme of this letter to the Philippians. And it's kind of like this. Philippians says, come to Jesus, share his joy. Come to Jesus, share his joy. And what do you know as well? Joy is a missional value. For you as a follower of Jesus, actually saying, yeah, this is pretty great. I'm excited about Jesus. I really like Jesus. He makes my life better. I'm more content. I'm more peaceful. I have more fruit of the Spirit. This is great. That joy is contagious. 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, not a friend of Christianity, but at the same time, a really astute critic, had this to say about Christians of his period. Picture in your ear, to mix a metaphor, grumpy German accent. Christians would have to sing better songs for me to learn to have faith in their Redeemer. And his disciples would have to look more redeemed. That wasn't his only objection to Christianity, but you see what he's saying here. And this is a reflection quote. Christians would have to sing better songs for me to learn to have faith in their Redeemer, and his disciples would have to look more redeemed. Christians keep telling me that I should become a follower of Jesus, but their songs are lame. They don't even themselves seem really excited about it. And they talk about a redeemer, but they don't act redeemed at all. Why should I take steps in that direction? But instead, lean into joy. If you're a follower of Jesus, when is the last period in your life when you're able to say, I have or I am experiencing deep, prolonged, over a period of time, joy in Jesus Christ. Lean in. Talk among yourselves. How do I experience more joy in the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ? That's a missional value. And remembering that people are so angry all the time, joy is actually quite contagious right now in a good way. Just live transparently with joy and see what difference that makes with people around you. Lean in. And that's what we're doing as a communion of churches. We are seeking to lean 
in because it's so important for the mission of Jesus Christ to move ahead, yes, even now. In the Liberty Community of Churches, we're going on about 20 years old. We've planted a lot of churches, and we've closed some churches, church plants that have not worked out. And some of you know that as, as of this fall, I stepped into a role, Associate Director of the Liberty Communion of Churches. And so it's on my plate to run point for developing new churches, coaching church planners, being first line of defense with crisis care and congregations. It's been a lot of fun so far, and it's been hard, and reminds me all over again, church stuff is hard. This is hard. There are so many ways that churches can go off the rails but we press ahead. In any season, and in this one, we press ahead. What does the Liberty Communion of Churches do together? Because we're better doing these things together than we can do separately. Planting churches, engaging in regional justice and mercy initiatives, engaging in international partnerships. That's why we go through all of this other stuff, so that we can do these three things. And as we press ahead, we're actually able to take some godly pride in what God is doing in our midst. After Paul, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We press ahead, and we join Paul in joy. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. There's no other way to live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.